page 7 under the book of grace. We'll fill in the blanks, do quickly go through the quiz. It's an open book quiz, so. Uh, Number one, grace is God's blank or blank favor. Unmerited and undeserved, very good. Unmerited and undeserved. Number two, list three ways that God's grace helps us. Letter A, by grace we are saved, okay? And what text do we have for that one? Did you get for that one, Miss Joy? Good, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, okay? Now, letter B, grace sets up a blank in our heart. Classroom, very good. And what verse did we have for this one? Titus 2, 11 and 12 is the one I have. Maybe there's more than one, I don't remember. Good, letter C, grace blanks us in times of trial, strengthens us, good. And then what's the verse for that one? Yep, that's one of them, good, okay. All right, letter uh, number three, without God's grace, our trials would do this to us. Would what? Trouble us, yep, that's, that's, that's an acceptable word. There may be another word that you, that you came up with. That's not wrong, that's right. Overwhelm is another word you could have there. Those are both bringing us to the same place. Good. Okay, four, list three ways we can get God's grace. Letter A, we actually talked about this this morning. Letter A, B, what? Humble. Humble. And what verse did we have for that? There could have been a couple different ones. What did you say? James 4, 17. Okay. 4, 6. Okay, yes, that is correct. James 4, 6, did anybody else have a different verse? 1 Peter 5, 5, it would also be acceptable, okay? Letter B, since it's the first word, so ask, yeah. You know, you have not because you ask not, right? That's not the verse, but what verse did we write down for that one? Right, Hebrews 4, 16. Letter C, increase your blank of God's word. Knowledge of God's word, good. And the verse for that one? 2 Peter 1, 2, good. Number five, when we invest time studying and knowing the Bible, God's grace is what in our life? Multiplied. We always get, more, we always get higher numbers in multiplication. Quicker, that is. Grace does not give me, number six, page eight, grace does not give me the freedom to sin. It empowers me to obey God and live a holy, in a holy manner. We're going to talk more about that here in just a minute. Pride does this to grace. 
It limits it. Yeah. And what's the verse on that one? 1 Peter 5, 5. Okay. So hopefully you were able to learn a couple of those memory verses. Uh, there's four of them. And uh, learning two of them. And obviously we just go by the honor system on that. You can say it to someone anytime during these level three lessons. Okay, who does not have the book? Practical Christian Living. Anybody else need a book? All right, I hope you have a pen to write with. Let's go ahead and open this up, have our Bibles ready. Page number two. It is common for new believers, we could also say old ones, but more, more when newer believers as well, and you'll see why, to have questions about how to live as a Christian. Before salvation, our lives most likely consisted of activities that would not honor God. And let me just pause right here and say that really the theme of this lesson, practical Christian living, is in that statement right there, honoring God. We're not going to stop and, you know, take a break and not teach the rest of the lesson, but really... It's about honoring and pleasing God, and we'll see that throughout this lesson. There are many absolutes in God's word that inform us of what we should do and what we should not do. There are other situations we encounter with no specific guiding commands. There's no direct, you know, thou shalt not, thou shalt, or you should, or you should not. And we'll we'll look at that later. So how does God want us to make decisions when we are uncertain? Good question. In this lesson on practical Christian living, we will learn how to decide and act in these times. Okay, first question. A lot of these lessons, you'll remember, are built around questions. So after salvation, should there be a change in the way that I live? Well, the obvious answer is yes, There should be a change. Um, Number one, we're going to look at two different things about this question. Number one, our lives should show evidence. I think that's a key word right there, evidence, right? I I remember hearing it said, you know, if we were in the courtroom, I remember in this this setting about this lesson, not this lesson, but, you know, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian, right? Right? Would they be able to find enough proof that I'm a Christian? You know, that's, a good, that's an interesting way of looking at it, right? Our lives should show evidence that the Holy Spirit now lives within us. Think of that, right? The moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit started living inside of you. Well, knowing that alone, something's going to change. You can't have God's Spirit living in you and continue to live the same way. So one of two things. One, if you're not changing, and remember the change is not necessarily the same pace for everybody, okay? But if you're not changing, then we need to make sure you're, you're saved because you, you will change with the Holy Spirit living in you, is what I'm saying, Okay? This means that our hearts will desire, again, another key word, to please God. When we're not saved, 
we have a desire to please one person, me, the flesh. After we get saved, we have God's spirit living in us, and God's spirit is going to lead me and lead you in accordance with God's word. And it's going to, and he is going to lead us to do things that please God. So that's why we need to get beyond this thing of chapter and verse, please, for everything. Now, I'm a Bible guy, okay? We know that. But it doesn't say everything in the Bible that we're supposed to do and not do. Okay, I'm just going to really go way out there on a limb. Marijuana is not in the Bible. Does that mean I can smoke it? No, it doesn't mean I can smoke it. But it's not in the Bible. Okay, so we're going to get into stuff like that. So it doesn't mean that we don't honor the Bible, but it means that we have to get, we want to graduate from this thinking of, well, if it's not, you know, if it's not written in black and white or even red, I noticed in that new Bible that I started preaching from, it's blue. Christ's words are in blue. I haven't really figured out the color coordination. I'll have to read in the beginning of the Bible. It looks like all the words are in blue. So I don't know if that means royalty. That would be purple. But anyway, stay on the course here. We won't get that. This means that our hearts will desire to please God in our decisions and interactions. Galatians 4, 6. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son, that's the Holy Spirit, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In other words, we want to please our Father. We want to do, do things that would, would glorify him, please him. Let's turn to this particular verse, 2 Corinthians. We have the little I there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be very, just, you know, this is a very important lesson. Honestly, I wish everybody and everybody's uncle was in this meeting tonight because this is really, really important. And um, hopefully we'll be able to record it and our, our cameras are working and, and the, at least the audio, they don't need to see me, but they can hopefully, they can hear the word of God and hear the material because honestly, this is what we need. This is what I need. I need a reminder tonight. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, so you're saved, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Not some things, not most things. All things are become new. We're on page two of the book, Practical Christian Living, question one. Just as a child longs to please his earthly father... A Christian should spiritually long to please his heavenly father. I wrote down some notes regarding the evidence. I forgot to give you this earlier. I circled the word evidence, and then in the bottom, I wrote this thought down. The evidence will be the fruit of the Spirit. Because when we get saved, we immediately have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance instilled in us by the Holy Spirit of God. So those, those will begin to be seen in us at a, at a whole new level or a completely brand new level than before we got saved. So that's evidence right there, those fruit. 
and I just had this thought, when the Holy Spirit moves in, he brings the fruit with him. You don't have to go to the market to get it. The Holy Spirit brings it with him. So our lives will show evidence that the Holy Spirit is in us. So it will change the way we live. Top of page three, number two, I've circled the word focus. Our lives should focus on a willingness. Okay, there's a difference between taking out the garbage and taking out the garbage. What? Sometimes the garbage goes out willingly. Sometimes the garbage goes out not so willingly. Sometimes we obey God. Sometimes we obey God willingly. And so this is where we want to grow into a willingness to please God rather than the flesh, than obey the flesh. All right, let's go to Romans 8.8. And maybe somebody can read that verse for us. Romans 8.8. It's not a very big one, but it's, it's got a punch. Right, so if I'm, thank you, if I'm obeying the flesh, I'm not pleasing God. It's, that's, I mean, I don't really need to say a whole lot more about it because that's what it says. Let's turn over to Ephesians 4.22. And remember, because we have God's spirit in us, we have no excuse. We have no excuse for obeying the flesh. That's just downright disobedience. It's just downright rebellion on my part when I obey the flesh because I have the Holy Spirit of God who's not saying yield to the flesh. He's saying, hey, yield to me because I'm going to lead you to live a life that is pleasing to God. I'm going to lead you to live a life that honors God. I'm going to lead you to live a life that brings glory to God. And on and on it goes. Ephesians 4.22. Someone want to read that one, please? Good, thank you. So we're supposed to put off our former conversation, our former conduct, our former way of living. Put it off. And you don't have to do that by yourself. You can do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Again, salvation is 100% Jesus, zero me. Sanctification is 100% Jesus and zero me. They're one and the same. You can't, we can't live the Christian life trying. I, I've tried, and it doesn't work. <laughs> we live the Christian life through God's Spirit, through the Lord, however, whatever name you want to put on there, but it's, it's all of God. There's nothing in me that is going to help me live the Christian life in my flesh. The Spirit is in me who will help me live the Christian life, uh, but I still have to yield. Okay, here's one that we were just talking about a little bit in grace, really the abuse of grace. Since my sins are forgiven, why can't I do what I want to do? Number one, forgiveness through salvation is not a license to sin. 
You know, it's not a card that says, I can do whatever I want now because I am a Christian. Somebody want to read those, read Romans 6, 1 and 2, please? It's right there in the book. Thank you. So when we got saved, Paul is saying that we are now dead to those things. There's no reason for us to go back to them. We are crucified with Christ, right? Remember Galatians 2.20? Nevertheless, I live. And um, then he says, shall we continue in sin so that we can have more grace? Grace may abound. Let's, let's sin all we want so we have a lot of grace. And he says, no, God forbid. That's not how we're to, li- that's not how we're to think about this thing. That's, that's foolish thinking, really. Uh, in that same chapter, I'll read verse 12 and 13, Romans 6, 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The word reign there, R-E-I-G-N. It means to rule, like a king would rule. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What we see right here is mortal, right? That ye should obey it, the body, in the lust thereof, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, because our soul is alive now that we're saved. It's been made alive by the Spirit of God. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So no longer unrighteous instruments but now to sin but now we have righteous instruments unto God this is made possible because we have God's spirit in us number two so we're saying why it's not wise to do whatever we want number two our choices whether to sin or to obey God have personal consequences Okay? Obviously, obeying God, it doesn't really have a consequence in the same way as it has a blessing. But I think the consequence is more tied to, normally the way we look at it, it's more tied to sin. But you could say that to obey God, there's a blessing when we obey God. Uh, we could even use Galatians 6-7, which is the verse there, it, in, in a positive way. Most of the time it's used in a way of if we uh, live a certain way and we, we live in sin, then we're going to reap, you know. I remember somebody saying that, you know, we can't live in sin and sow all these seeds of rebellion and sow all these seeds of whatever and then ask God to, to have a crop failure. You know, it doesn't work that way. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap. So we want to sow righteousness. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So the lesson says, my behavior is continually planting seeds. So I have to ask, what seeds are we planting? There will be a harvest. Are we planting seeds to the flesh? Uh, Planting seeds of, obviously, sin, or are we planting seeds of righteousness? 
So those are two reasons why, actually there's one more, but these are the first two reasons why it's, it's not very wise just to live however you want to as a Christian. The third one is at the top of the page. This is one we don't really think about when we're, doing the, uh, when we're involved in sin normally because Satan blinds us really to this. My choices also have consequences that affect other people. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, that's the lie of Satan really that says, well, it's just me. I can do whatever I want. Well, it's never just me. It's never just you. It always affects other people. In fact, the verse there in Romans, would someone like to read that one? Romans 14, 7. Right, thank you. So we can't live without it impacting somebody else, and honestly, we don't die without it impacting somebody else. So it's not just me. I can do whatever I want because, honestly, it's only affecting me. That's, that's not true. Uh, let's, let's look at Joshua 22. Maybe you recognize the story here by the text. Joshua 22. In this particular case... It's talking about a man who, when they went into Jericho, decided that he knew better than the directions that they were given from Joshua, which were, don't take anything. And so the Bible says in verse 20 of of, uh, Joshua 22, do you know if anybody is in the basement? No, there isn't anybody? Okay. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man perished not alone in his iniquity? So, no, he didn't. Now, he did, but he also cost his family as well. But remember, when they went to Ai, I can't remember the number of soldiers that died off the top of my head, but number of soldiers died when they went to Ai because he had stolen and put it under his tent. and So his sin was not just impacting him. It had a great impact on others as well. Okay, all right, this, this is the, I mean, I was, I, I, I was very helped by the, by the first part, but this part as well. Now that I'm a Christian, are there activities and relationships that I should avoid? This is very practical, it's all been practical, but very practical in, in the Christian life. Number one, yes, is the answer, <laughs> yes. There are. Since we will give an account of our lives at the judgment seat of Christ, which we've talked about in these lessons, we should inspect all areas of our lives. And here's the key. And I've circled these next six words to see if God is pleased. 
Well, I've done this for 25 years. Okay, that's fine. But how about you put that under the microscope and you see if God is pleased? And ask God, God, show me. Again, if there's no chapter and verse, ask God, is this something that pleases you? I'm not saying we're going to have a whole rash of things that are going to change in our lives, but I think that's the, I know that's the, the best way for us to think in the Christian life isn't, oh, I, I've been doing this certain activity for whatever, whatever, and, and maybe it's fine, but I think we, wanna, we, wanna, we want to grow. We want to grow. Or we could say, I haven't been doing whatever it is, and maybe you should be doing it. All right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And the last part of the verse says, for instruction in righteousness. This is the, this is the goal and how we want to make decisions. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Doing right. So, God wants us to make our decisions with that in mind. It's not whether it feels good or it's not whether I like it. It's is it right? Okay? And we're going to go into a little bit more detailed information. You know, we've, we've examined it. We've talked to the Lord about it, but it gets a little bit deeper. Okay, so now that I'm a Christian, are there activities and relationships? Number two, yes, yes. Because biblical separation is commanded and commended in the word of God. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians 6. And I think the bottom line is, we never want to get to the place in our Christian life where we say, okay, I've got everything in order. <laughs> you know, everything's in order. I'll keep reading my Bible, keep coming to church, you know, what, whatever, whatever, whatever. But, you know, I've pretty much got everything in order. I don't think we're ever going to come to that place until we, until we get to heaven and have our, our glorified body, which cannot sin. What I'm saying is, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for a month or if you've been saved 40 years. You never want to get to this thinking of, you know, I have everything, I, you know, again, I just come back to that. I, I have everything in order. It doesn't mean I'm saying I'm not a sinner, but I, I need to be um, teachable enough that maybe there's something I'm participating in. Maybe there's something I'm saying. Maybe there's something I'm watching. Maybe there's something I'm listening to. Maybe there's something in my life that, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't totally derailed me and put me in the whatever, but it's not pleasing to God. And therefore, maybe I need to, not maybe, but therefore, because of that, I need to just say, you know, sayonara, that's it. I can't have this in my life. Or I need to bring this into my life. All right, 2 Corinthians 6. Could somebody read verse 14, please? Okay, somebody read verse 15, please. Okay. 
Okay, verse 16, thank you. Thank you. Verse 17. Thank you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So the Apostle Paul asks a bunch of questions from verse 14. And in even in all the way up into verse 16, really with the same theme in mind. It's kind of one theme asking of various uh, ways um, in relation to having things in common. Verse 14, be not unequally together with unbelievers. For what fellowship? What do we have in common? Now, it doesn't mean that we're going into a cave and we're going to live in a cave because we don't want to be around unbelievers. The Bible says we're supposed to be salt and light. So we can't do that in a cave filled with believers. So we're not leaving and going up and living somewhere like that. And what fellowship hath unrighteousness, or excuse me, righteousness with unrighteousness? There's nothing in common with those two words. Well, they're going in opposite directions. Unrighteousness is going, let's say, left, Righteousness is going right. And basically, each and every question uh, are in kind of a rewording of the same with maybe a little bit more emphasis. Um, one of the things that we commonly talk about in verse 14, with it be ye not unequally yoked together, we commonly talk about marrying someone who is not a believer. And it's never advisable, okay? Now, if that's your situation tonight, it's not advisable for you to get divorced. <laughs> it's advisable for you to pray for your spouse, live the Christian life in front of your spouse. Uh, and that's another, that's another lesson uh, or another topic. You don't want to make two wrongs. Two wrongs don't make a right, okay? But... I would never advise someone who's not married to get married to someone who is an unbeliever. So that's one thing that we look at here. I also know that in some cases, um, going into business with someone that is an unbeliever can be a very um, dangerous proposition. Um, I don't know that I would ever advise it personally based on this, based on, because you're going to have two different ways of thinking, I hope, <laughs> right? And you never want to have to compromise. So this could be in various things, okay? Again, if you're already in, involved in that, I, I'm not saying, you know, break everything and change everything, I'm saying that those are, those are some things that we look at within those verses, okay? But the, con the theme there in each one of these verses 
is to be separate, to be separate. Verse number 17 makes it very clear. Okay? So there's a different way that we are living. What relationship should we avoid? Doesn't mean that we are unfriendly to lost people. Okay? But you have to be very you have to be very discerning about having close friendships even. Like really close friendships. And when you get together, where where are you going with that friend? What are you doing with that friend? A lot of those relationships can put you in a very uh uncomfortable places and situations where, you know, you don't want to go to a place that, you know, only serves liquor, a bar, right? I hope you don't want to go to a place like that. But, you know, if I have a friendship with someone who does and they want me to go with them, it doesn't mean that I have to go with them, but, uh, and I can still be their friend, but I need, to, I need to have that stand and loving stand and say, you know what, I don't, I don't go to those places. And a lot of times, the friends that we may have had before we got saved, when we get saved, they don't really stay around very long. Because again, if you read this, what it's saying, Paul is saying is, we don't have anything in common. Again, it's not that I'm trying to say, I'm, ben the, I'm Benny the Bible now. And you're just an unsaved pagan. No. We want to love them. Okay? But I'm not going to be like them to win them. That is the lie of the devil. You don't, you don't have one rotten apple in a good bucket of apples or a good basket of apples and say, we're going to leave that rotten apple in there tonight and tomorrow morning that rotten apple is going to be good. That isn't going to happen. Well, I'll tell you what will happen. You leave it in there two or three days, that rotten apple's going to have a, have a sidekick. It's going to get, it might take longer than that, but you know what I'm saying. It's impossible to take a rotten apple and turn it into a good apple. So that's not our motivation. Okay, Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, and be, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't conform to the world. Then, top of page five, as, a, as, a, as every responsible parent is concerned with the activities and associations of their children, God is equally concerned with his children in his behavior and friendships. Again, friendships are powerful. And, and, and again, those of us that have young people at home, you really need to guard the friendships of your children. You say, well, they, they're old enough, they can make their own decisions. No, no, they're not old enough. That's why God gave them parents to say, you know what, this is someone who you need to be friendly to, but you're not to be close to them. Now, it's a little bit harder these days to do that, especially if you, if you allow phones into the hands of your kids. This is my phone take here for a little bit. 
But again, I would, I would put that off as long as you possibly can. Because unless you're going to take that phone and look at it constantly, you have no idea who they're communicating with. And a friendship can be built with someone who is as anti-God as the Antichrist. I'm sorry, I don't know. That's probably an exaggeration, but... I mean, I remember growing up, no phones, of course, and, you know, I had a couple of friends who were in the Christian school, <laughs> and I'm not saying I was Mr. Holy, but they were not a good influence on me. But there was no cell phones, and it still was a problem. I'm just saying the access today, though, is, I think it's really easy to get caught up in that, and so just... You know, I'm not trying to be the parent of your home. I'm just, I'm an under-shepherd who, who happens to be a parent who failed miserably as a parent time and time again. I'm not saying I'm an I'm a example to follow, but I know this, that phone has done more already, caused more grief in teenagers' lives than maybe anything else in my lifetime. That's probably a safe statement. So, be concerned. Be concerned about it. And, um, you know, speak the truth in love. We don't have to get angry about it. Speak the truth in love. Okay, number three. We determine proper activities and relationships by using biblical principles. I love these questions. I love these questions. You, you, I hope you'll go back through because I need to be done here in a few minutes, about 10 minutes we got left. We'll use it all. Number one, will it bother my conscience? And herein do I exercise myself to have a, always a conscience void of offense toward God. But notice it doesn't stop there. It also says toward men. Will it affect my conscience? Will it bother my conscience? And you will know, you will know that <laughs> whether you've figured it out the first time or not, but you'll know it for the next time. Because when you do it, and your conscience is kicking you in the teeth. You ever got kicked in the teeth? I have. That's no fun. Um, then you'll know, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to avoid that one next time because I don't like that feeling. I don't like that offense that feeling toward God or toward my fellow man. Colossians 3.17, and whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, that covers it all, doesn't it? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wow, can we, can we give thanks to the Lord for what we just said? Can we give thanks to the Lord for what we just did? Okay, so that's letter A. Will it bother my conscience? Brother Barry, as we have some kids, uh, families coming in, 
all of the patch kids are actually starting upstairs tonight, uh, just to let them know that, because we're going to be singing before they go down, if you see anyone come in. Thank you. Letter B. This is a big one. Would I be embarrassed if Jesus were to return while I was doing this? Ooh-wee. That should, that should help us, shouldn't it? He could come at any moment. We're like, yes, I want him to come at any moment, but maybe not. Because 1 Corinthians 1.8, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless when? In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that we won't go to heaven because we're sinning when he comes back. It just means who would want to be committing some kind of a sin when the Lord Jesus comes back or, be, or, or not be right with him or right with uh, somebody else and then the Lord returns. I mean, we're going to heaven, but I think the question is a worthwhile question. We must continue. Yes. Right. Right, exactly, that's good. So Miss Gabriella said, regardless if he came back or not, he still sees us anyway. Good, very good. Okay, we'll skip that verse. Doesn't mean it's not a good one. You can read it this week. All right, let's look at letter C. Am I being brought under the power of something that should not be controlling my life? Somebody want to read this verse? It's right there. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Right, so Paul says, is this, is this, What I'm doing, is it actually controlling me? That's not what should be controlling us. We're supposed to be brought, we're supposed to be controlled by the Spirit of God. So if it's something that is, I just, you know, it's controlling me. Okay, page page six. We gotta move on. We got three more. Three more questions. Does it build up and help others? Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things therewith one may edify, that's build up, another. Does what I'm doing, does it it help my family? Does it help my wife? Does it help my husband? Does it help my children? Does it help the church church family? Uh, Does it help and build up unsaved people too? This isn't just about Christians. Does it... You know, or does it, does it do the opposite? Letter E, if another Christian saw me do this, would it hurt them? Hmm, that's a really, that's a really kind of a, kind of a thought-provoking question, isn't it? We all have our, you know, this, we're at church, you know, and so we, we kind of act a certain way because we're at church. Um, but we go home and 
Maybe we act a certain way because now we're at home. Now at home, you know, it is where we can take our shoes off. I guess we have our shoes off at church right now too, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> we get home and we want to take our shoes off. It's a saying, you know, we're comfortable and, and we should be. But, you know, sometimes we, we act a certain way at home that we would never act at church. Because if so-and-so saw us, if the pastor saw us, if this person saw us, oh, well, well, wait a minute now. What kind of a double standard is that? That's what this is saying. And we've all been guilty of, you know, putting on the nines at church and then not being so kind at home or, or somewhere else even, you know. You get, a, you get a waitress or a waiter, you know, at a restaurant and their service is terrible and, you know, you want to just tell them what for. I hope we never would do that, but, you know. But you wouldn't do that if somebody in the church was at the next table over. I'm just saying, you know. Let's go to Romans 14. By the way, remember the whole lesson up until this point has not been about what somebody else would see me doing. It's been about pleasing God. It's been about honoring God. But at the same time, you know, we have a testimony that says we're a Christian. And our, our kids, our children, our coworkers, I hope, and others, they would know that we're a Christian. And so we should respond differently because we want to please God. Not even because we want somebody else to not stumble, although we don't, but ultimately we want to please God. <laughs> some, some dinosaurs are showing up. Good, good. Romans 14, 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this, rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now we, could, we really could take a lot, there could be a lot said about this concept and it's a very important one. But let's keep reading. Time is up. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Again, I don't have time to open up the can of worms. Well, we keep the worms in the can. But part of my, th my decision-making process isn't even, is it right or wrong for me? It is, is it going to cause you or someone else to stumble? Stumbling block. And again, we're talking about practical Christian living. We're talking... Really what we're, we're trying to get to a place in our life 
where we graduate a little bit. Okay, letter F. And finally, would this cause an unsaved person to reject Jesus Christ? Wow. Boy, if that's Christianity, I don't want any of that. They're still accountable, but boy, I hope no one's ever, I mean, maybe, maybe somebody has said that about me. I, I hope not. It's possible. Possible because I, I'm not perfect. I, I don't know that I could think of something much more uh, like right in the heart based on something I did that somebody would say, I don't want anything to do with that if that's what Christianity did. 1 Corinthians 10. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's, that's a good one, eh? Can we say glory to God after just doing this? If you can't, then don't do it. Bottom line. Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Don't live in such a way on purpose that's going to bring offense. Now, you know, truth brings offense sometimes. Verse 33, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Wow. I hope you'll take some time this week to reread this lesson and some of the verses. We only skipped a couple, but to go back through and read. Did everybody get one of these? Even if you just came in, please take them. We have 52 of these. This is one of the most important lessons, I think, in this series, apart from understanding the gospel and getting saved, this lesson right here.